Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. So glad that you've chosen to join us. We're continuing, but we're almost at the end of this series of Establish. And we've been going through really the material that we want to use for people who come to Christ. And, uh, and it's a 31-day it's a, a devotional, taking them through the whole Bible and helping them understand the main themes of the Bible while going chronologically through it. And so we thought it would be a great way to introduce that um, material to you by actually preaching through it for these for 31 weeks. And so it's been quite a long series, but I hope it's been rich for you. I know it has been for me. And today, we're, I mean, we're getting very close to the end now, and we're looking at the end times. So this is, uh, of course, it's a totally non-controversial topic, you know. I mean, there's lots of <clears throat> debate and stuff, and what I hope that we'll be able to do today is really cut through some of that and get to some main principles, I think, that the Bible teaches very clearly. But by way of introduction, I remember a number of years ago, we were talking on something similar. And uh, I remember calling uh, the kids, the young kids up to the front of the church back when we could meet together and uh, called all the kids forward. I says, we're going to have a race. Uh, ready, set, go. And the kids just start running around. Like one goes this way, one goes up that aisle, another goes that aisle. Uh, some are just standing there not knowing what to do. And, <clears throat> and the idea was, is that how do you have a race without a finish line? You can have a great start to know where you start, but unless you know where you end, then life really doesn't make much sense. And so what we want to be able to do is say, where is all of human history leading towards? And as we understand the finish line, as it were, we'll know how to live today and not be kids just running around trying to figure things up and make stuff up. So we're going to be looking at the big picture. <clears throat> now, what we're going to be basing this on, of course, is scripture. But uh, there was a, um, a theologian. Um, who uh, named Irenaeus, who was the disciple of Polycarp, who was the disciple of the Apostle John. <clears throat> so this is very early on in church history. And he taught that there were three basic ages, and they're overlapping ages, but there are ages nevertheless, that we can kind of understand now and then what the future looks like. And he described it this way, the final age will be the new heaven and the new earth. <clears throat> this is the time of the general resurrection, the time of judgment and reward for the saints, and the time of new creation. We're going to be talking all about this next week, uh, primarily based on Revelation 21, but there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth where all things are going to be made new. It's going to be an incredible time. So that's the new heaven and the new earth. Then there's an uh, in-between time between now, which we're going to be calling the end times, in that new heaven and earth, called the kingdom reign. This is what Irenaeus thought and, uh, taught, and, and it's what uh, I understand Scripture to teach. That Christ is going to return to rule this earth. Now, for lots of people, that's new information. There seems to be, there's now and then heaven. And there's not really anything in between those two times. And then we're all going to go up to heaven and wait for a bit until there's this new heaven and earth. But um, it seems as though scripture teaches that human history will not be finished until Christ establishes his kingdom rule on this earth. 
and becomes kind of the, the culmination of, of human history as we know it. This is going to be an incredible time where wars will cease, evil will be uh, severely judged, there'll be feasting, there'll be agricultural bounty, uh, the animals are going to get along together and get along better with us. It's going to be a very radically different time. Uh, some even believe that, uh, well, we're going to be reigning with Christ during this time. We'll get to that in a moment. But that we'll actually even have new bodies at that point, coming back to earth to reign with Christ and establish his kingdom rule throughout the entire earth. It's the fulfillment of, Matthew, of the prayer of Matthew 6.10. Uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so the way that Christ rules in heaven He's now going to come to earth and rule in his fullness. It's going to be an incredible time. Here's what's how scripture describes this uh, second age, this middle age. Revelation eleven seventeen. it says, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, because you have used your great power and have begun to rule. So there's this time coming when God is going to come and rule the world in his great power. And then there's a comment on how we participate, which I've already alluded to, and it's based on Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy are those who share in this first raising of the dead, this first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. They will be priests for God and for Christ and will rule with him for a thousand years. <clears throat> now, this is super helpful for us to understand what this present age is about that we're being prepared to be priests and rulers, Christ's ambassadors in this coming age, uh, and, and rule in his name, the world. I mean, this is just a, an incredible thought, but this is what is in store for us as believers in Christ. Uh, when will we know that this time ends, the second age? 1 Corinthians 15 talks about this in verse 24 and 25. It says, At that time, Christ will destroy all rulers, authorities, powers, and he will hand over the kingdom to God the Father. Christ must rule until he puts all enemies under his control, including death. Now, that's a very interesting point because uh, that perhaps, almost more than anything else, explains how there's an in-between time between now and the new heaven and the new earth. In the new heaven and the new earth, we read that there'll be no more death or crying or pain. But in this age that's being described here, there's still death and there's still some form of sin. And so there's this in-between time that isn't quite the, the fullness, and, but it's way different than now that is described as this kingdom reign when Christ returns in a second coming to rule this earth. Well, this is just an, an incredible finish line, as it were, to know where our life is headed towards in terms of what Christ is planning on doing in this world. So this brings us to this present age, described as the end times. Now, this was this age, this age of the church, and Irenaeus calls it the age of the spirit. Then it's the age of the kingdom, which is Jesus, and then the age of the father, the new heaven and the new earth. <clears throat> but this is the age of the spirit. And, um, and we're already living in the end times. 
It's to be our attitude, even though since uh, many of these prophecies occurred, that uh, it's been 2,000 years, but from a biblical point of view, we're already in the end times and there's already an overlap because the kingdom has already come and we're anticipating it coming in its fullness and living in such a way as though it's already here. So this is how Matthew 24 verses 4 to 14 describes how to live in this uh, anticipation of the coming kingdom reign where Jesus returns. Verse 4, be careful that no one fools you. We're going to talk about being foolish. Be careful that no one fools you. Many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ, and they will fool many people. So people are going to come along and say, you know, the uh, Christ has returned, and, um, and, and we're going to be deceived by that. You will hear about wars and stories of wars that are coming, but do not be afraid. And this is going to be the big thing that we're going to be talking about. Do not be afraid. These things must happen before the end comes. Nations will fight against other nations. Kingdoms will fight against other kingdoms. There'll be times when there is no food for people to eat, and there'll be earthquakes in different places. These things are like the first pains when something new is about to be born. Well, it's the coming of the kingdom. And these are the, the um, it's described as, as childbirth pains, anticipating the fullness of the kingdom coming to earth. Then people will arrest you, hand you over to be hurt, and kill you. Well, that's sobering, isn't it? They will hate you because you believe in me. At that time, many will lose their faith. That's the other big thing that we need to be looking at. Many will lose their faith, and they will turn against each other and hate each other. Many false prophets will come and cause many people to believe lies. That's that being fooled or deceived again. There'll be more and more evil in the world, so most people will stop showing love for each other. This is going to be a sign, in a sense, of the end of this age, where people will stop being loving, loving their neighbor, loving God. But, verse 13, those people who keep their faith until the end will be saved. Until the end we keep our faith, we'll be saved. And then in verse 14, the good news about the kingdom will be preached in all the world to every nation. That sounds like a great name for a movement, doesn't it? Every nation. To every nation, then the end will come. So this is uh, giving a very detailed description of what we can anticipate in the coming years as earth is preparing to receive its rightful ruler, the Lord Jesus Christ in his second coming. This is what's going to be happening. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes, and these are described as birth pangs. It's not right before he comes, but it's going to be uh, in preparation for his coming. And, uh, and it's going to be a difficult time to be a Christian. And we already experience that, don't we, in many ways? Uh, perhaps not as physically here as in other places, but for sure emotionally. So what is our main responsibility during these end times? Our main responsibility is to prepare ourselves and to prepare others for age two and three. So we're in the first age, the uh, end times, in the coming kingdom, in the new heaven and the new earth, ages two and three, as we'll, we'll call it that. Uh, we are preparing ourselves and others for those ages. Well, you can see 
what a critical race we're running, isn't it? This isn't somehow that we're filling our time while we're here on earth trying to amuse ourselves and hoping that we don't get too bored or, or that anything difficult happens in our life, choosing mostly leisure and comfort and kind of doing the best with the time that we have because there's really no anticipation of anything uh, great or tragic after our physical death. Well, this puts our life in a very profound context that this is this, just the beginning of something amazing and something terrifying, depending on how we relate to Jesus Christ. So what does it look like? We'll look at two things this morning. What does it look like to be unprepared for these coming ages? And what does it look like to be prepared? Well, what does it look like to be unprepared? We've already seen in Matthew 24 that this looks like fear. The primary characteristic of someone who is not properly preparing for the coming kingdom is lots of fear and anxiety. That's the classic thing. Now, you know why we talk about these things so much in our church. It's not just a, about a, a psychological problem. It's actually a sign of unpreparedness for the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. Fear is our enemy because what it causes us to do is at least two things. First, it causes us to seek relief. And so what we do is we run after false teaching, false comforts, false ideas in an effort to quiet our fear and anxiety because we're just trying to get relief. And so whatever helps us feel better about the moment is what we'll believe, what we'll feel, and what we'll do. And so it's, uh, it's sobering where fear can take us. Ultimately, it takes us toward living a loveless life. This is what we, we read in verse 12 of Matthew 24. It says, most people will sh stop showing their love for each other. Why? Well, the world is just so gripped by fear and anxiety, there's no emotional energy to care for anybody but themselves. And this is what we see, don't we? That people's lives are, as anxiety rises, people's lives get smaller and smaller and smaller, so much so that love gets choked out at its core. Proverbs 28 verse 1 talks about this kind of attitude. It says, the, flicked, the, the wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. So there's something that's going to be happening inside of our hearts, in our lives, that there's going to be a kind of fear that isn't even grounded in reality. The wicked flee, though no one pursues. That there just be, an, there just be a, an air of anxiety that just always is kind of living in a, in a panic and a fear about what might happen next. There's something that I've, I've noticed. Um, I've listened to people who are, who, are, uh, who are in therapy right now, and there's a common theme that I'm listening to people talk about. And it's this idea of boundaries. Now, uh, the idea of boundaries actually has biblical roots. That as we are made in the image of God, he's Trinitarian, so he's one God in three persons. Boundaries is the idea that in our effort to be one and in community, we don't lose our individuality. And so this has, has biblical support. And it's important 
that even as we connect with God and others, we don't imagine that this is a loss of self, it's actually a fulfillment of self as we come closer in a relationship. But what I've noticed is a misuse of this biblical idea, a legitimate idea, but it can get misused. And here's how it gets misused, is my life is so overwhelming that the way that I'm going to reduce my anxiety is to, is to, uh, is to control my environment. And if I can make my environment small enough, then my anxiety is going to go down. I'm going to find peace. And then hopefully I'll be able to later on get back to loving people again. Well, the tragedy is, is that our boundaries are never firm enough. Uh, they're never small enough to feel the peace that we hope that we'll experience. The way that we experience peace is through faith in Jesus Christ. And what, what uh, faith in Jesus allows us to do is have what psychologists would describe as permeable boundaries, where we have a sense of self, but we have a way of openly and vulnerably engaging with others in a non-self-protected kind of way. But this should be a sign for us that as our anxiety causes us to make our lives smaller, that this is a sign that we're being ruled by fear and not by faith. And that the enemy is trying to take the uh, legitimate dangers and even imagined dangers and cause us to, uh, to find safety, not in the hands of God, but in making our life so small, we believe that we can manage it. And this is deception, and we should have no part in it. In contrast, we see that the righteous are as bold as a lion. One of the things that I find incredibly inspiring is to watch people who are in the middle of an emotional um, crisis or, uh, or experiencing some kind of mental illness, something that is... Uh, potentially very debilitating, and that even in the midst of a, of a difficult emotional state or physical state, they still manage to keep their heart soft and care for others. This is a mark of the presence of God. Not so much that our life is all neat and tidy and everything is in its rightful place, but even in the midst of internal angst, confusion, depression, feeling overwhelmed, that we're still able to find Jesus in faith in such a way that we're still able to love those around us. I mean, no, none of us love others as well as we want to, but our hearts still long to be able to do that. We long to stay engaged. But what the enemy is trying to do is say, no, 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 don't do that. That's actually causing you more anxiety. Love is a dangerous thing. It's not helpful at all for your mental well-being. That's just a, a thing you do later when you feel better about yourself. You need to focus on yourself right now. Make it all about you. And only as you understand how to love yourself and care for yourself and control your environment can you then begin to think about other people. This is deception at its core. So if being unprepared looks like fear and the product of that, which is being fooled by false teaching and living a loveless life, what, is our, what does it look like to be rightly prepared? Well, this now brings us to, uh, to the, the primary theme of the Bible, which is faith. 
There's a question that's asked in Luke chapter 18, verse 8, that is the question that every human being must ask themselves, and it's this. When the Son of Man comes in his second coming to set up his rule and reign on earth, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the question that every one of us must answer. Will we be people of faith or people of fear? What does faith then mean? Now, sometimes when I, I, I listen to the understanding of faith, when people describe it, it kind of means uh, uh, optimism that everything's going to work out okay in the end. <clears throat> and that, yeah, we're going through a rough patch right now, or yes, it's difficult, but don't worry. Um, you know, God's in control, and so uh, we need to trust him that it's all going to work out fine. Now, in light of these three ages, the answer is yes, it will always work out fine. But it might not always work out fine in age one. By the time age two comes, age three in, in complete fulfillment, yes. But unless we understand that there's age two and three, we have these expectations that faith means that we can bring heaven to earth in such a way that we remove all pain and suffering. Well, this becomes almost a, 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 a cruel anticipation because it won't happen now. Certainly, we can reduce the effect of sin and selfishness in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And, and when we trust in Jesus, we see his blessing time and again. I'm not, uh, yes, we anticipate that, but there's a, there's a bigger meaning of what faith means than just about us having a, a, a better life experience. It means to be faithful to the coming king. So when Jesus asks, will I find faith? He's saying, will I find a people who are faithful to me even when things aren't going well, even when there's legitimate fears, even when your life is being threatened? Will I find faithful followers? One of the primary um, uh, analogies that's used to describe this coming age is the bride, uh, the church, being prepared to be wed to Jesus Christ. And there's going to be a, 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 the wedding supper of the Lamb in the coming age. It's going to be an incredible time when our hearts longing to be, to be wed, in a sense, to Christ will find its fulfillment. We'll be one with Jesus without this stain of, of sin and selfishness in our hearts and lives. And so what God is doing now, what Jesus is doing, is looking for, for, for a faithful bride who will not run after false lovers, but in the, in the face of fear and discomfort, will stay, stay true to, uh, to the groom, to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our life purpose is to be found faithful at the end of our life, to end well, not just begin well. What an incredible life purpose. 
So what does this faithfulness to our king, even to the point of death, because he was faithful to the point of death, wasn't he? When he died for our sins. Philippians 2 talks about that. <clears throat> he became obedient even to death, death on a cross. So he was faithful to us to the end. And he says, I would expect nothing less of you. It's what a love relationship is built on, is this level of, of covenant faithfulness. What does that look like? What do people of faith look like? Well, they always look like loving people. They always look like, it, faith always looks like love. Galatians 6, which you hear me say all the time, that faith expressing itself through love. Those who, are, uh, who trust in Jesus and are faithful to him, not motivated by fear, but motivated by faith, that trust enables them to love others and to worship God. Look, you and I aren't going to be able to love God or love others unless we live by faith, because the world is way too chaotic. Our mental state is far too unstable to ever get around loving others unless we believe in the saving work of Jesus Christ. He is our Savior, practically and eternally speaking. So we obey him by advancing his kingdom of love on earth, preparing the world to receive its king. There's, there's one uh, particularly clear condition for the return of Christ. And we read it in Matthew 24, 14. The good news about God's kingdom will be preached in all the world to every nation. Then the end will come. That there is a preparatory work for you and I to engage in to welcome the return of the king. It would be premature for the king to come back without us letting the whole world know what's about to happen and how to prepare their hearts and lives and nations to receive their rightful king. We have a responsibility not just to prepare our own lives, to prepare the world to receive Jesus. And as we prepare the world to receive Jesus, it reveals our faithfulness to God. It's not just for their benefit, although it's, you know, for sure that, but it's also revealing that we are so ruled by faith, not by fear, that we're able to leave behind a life that revolves around self and concern ourselves with the well-being of the world around us. You know, it's, it's, it's one thing to have a personal relationship with Jesus. It's another thing to have a relationship with Jesus where we want to get along with the people, you know, directly in our, in our well, our bubble, as we, as we call it these days, but in our, you know, most immediate family circle where our, our spouse and children or our parents or close friends, because we have, I mean, that's, that's almost as beneficial to us as it is to anybody else. We want to be able to have harmony in our relationships. But it's quite unique to go to that next level and care about others who offer no immediate benefit to us. But this is a sign that we're truly living faithful to Jesus, that we've left behind having to care for our own life and now care for others. Love now has thoroughly taken root in our hearts. So here is the concluding question that we need to ask ourselves. Will we be found faithful preparing our lives and worlds 
world for, the, for our king's return? <clears throat> this is the question that we should wake up with every morning. Will I be faithful to my groom, <clears throat> to my husband? Will I be faithful to, uh, to my king? <clears throat> that as I am wed to him, I take up his cause, his priorities and his pursuits. And will I be found faithful to that? Or will I resent him for it? And out of fear and mistrust, pull away from intimacy and try to control my life on my own. And uh, in 1 Thessalonians and elsewhere, it says that for many, the, the return of Christ will come like a surprise. And in... Uh, in Matthew, it talks about uh, the parable of the ten virgins, where there's ten virgins preparing for the return of the groom, <clears throat> but, but not all of them. Uh, they ran out of oil in their lamps. And so when they went off to get more oil, the, the groom returned and they weren't prepared. And the oil, of course, is the oil of the Holy Spirit. And what this is telling us is the only way we will stay faithful to Christ is through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So it's not just about us gritting our teeth and trying to be faithful. <clears throat> it's being responsive to the work of the Spirit in our life that enables us to stay in a trust relationship with God, love Him, and love others in, 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 in a rippling effect to the ends of the earth. Um, let us not be surprised by how the story ends and go, oh, wow, I didn't know. I, I, I mean, I would have known. No, Scripture is clear about how it ends, and it's clear about how we prepare. By faith, expressing love through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And when he returns, he will find faith. We will have prepared our hearts and prepared the world around us to receive our rightful king. This is our job description. Regardless of what your vocation is, wherever you work, whether you're at home, <clears throat> in the marketplace, you're in construction, you have a white-collar job, you have a, a meta-job, a meta-responsibility, which is to take whatever places you find yourself in and bring them into right relationship with the King of Glory. And as you do that, you are living by faith, not by fear. Because the sign of that will be advancing His kingdom of love. So I'd like us to pray, Matthew 6.10, to pray that his kingdom would come, that, that already we would submit to the rulership of Christ, that we would already prepare ourselves to be priests, to be ministers of reconciliation, as we've already heard, and that we would, um, that we would, we would take responsibility for the nations and already advance his loving rule into those places so that when he returns, they will not be surprised and they will welcome their king the way that he deserves in the way that needs to be done. Holy Spirit, <clears throat> we don't want to run out of the oil. We want to stay close to you, connected to you, full of you, that we could defeat fear in our life and we could live by faith and love in that we would be found faithful to our groom. <clears throat> we wouldn't cheat on him with self-centered pleasures and concerns. 
but for this short time that we have on earth called our life, we would devote this time to purity, to faithfulness, to devotion, to our king, to our groom, that we would let ourselves by the power of the Holy Spirit be clothed in white, not just in the forgiveness of sins, but the Bible says in acts of righteousness, that we would be clothed in white, that when the groom returns, we will be found faithful to him and he will welcome us into his chambers, into his kingdom. So we say, your kingdom come, your will be done in our hearts, in our world. Oh, Father, stir our hearts with this finish line that we would be a faithful people. Amen. This is a big deal, isn't it? It's not some, some small hobby. <clears throat> this, is a, this is a matter of life and death for us and for this world. Let us be found faithful.